Looking at the chaos all around us, it can be hard to see God's grand design. Some pieces are easy and familiar, but some don't seem to fit. And a few pieces appear to be missing altogether. So is life just random? Is God really in control? Does he see something that we don't? With time and patience and trust in the designer of life itself, we'll see that God has all the pieces carefully laid out. And there will be a day when everything will come into focus and we'll see the wisdom, the perfection, and the beauty of all that God planned. I've always been amazed and fascinated by a certain element of the Christmas story. Think about this. God, who's all-powerful, all-present, and all-knowing, could have chosen any way he wanted to to introduce Jesus into the world. God could have introduced Jesus as a strapping 28-year-old presentation of human perfection with chiseled abs and a granite jaw. He could have sent him as a political diplomat with a briefcase full of notes and philosophy about world peace. God could have chosen a superhero motif with a cape and a mask. God could have chosen any myriad of means or images or situations to introduce Jesus, but the approach that he chose was helplessness. A helpless human child. That decision in its heavenly simplicity and human complexity, that was God's plan to commune with humanity. John 1.14 doesn't appear to be a Christmas verse, but it's a Christmas verse. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God wrapped himself in human flesh and limited himself so the deepest form of communion could take place between you and God. Laurel and I just spent 10 days with our first granddaughter, Hallie Blake. Amazing. So, for those of you who said that being a grandparent was the best experience ever, you nailed it. So much more amazing than I ever could have imagined. Hallie is a, a gift of, and, and the snuggles and the cuddles were precious. Those moments when she would lock eyes with me, they were breathtaking. The diaper changing, the rocking, the bouncing, the tickles, and even the crying seemed so incredibly sweet. And that's the form that God chose to introduce his plan of salvation for you and me. A helpless infant. Here's the thing about babies. They need everything they can't do anything on their own. As an infant, they can't walk, they can't talk, they can't order DoorDash, they can't change their clothes, they can't do anything other than a few basic bodily functions and looking cute. And that's how God planned to introduce Jesus to the world. Think about the irony of that decision, of how a helpless child contained all of the power and the glory of God. A baby needs comfort, and yet Jesus was already our wonderful counselor, our prince of peace. A baby needs rest, and yet Jesus is omnipotent, all-powerful, and needs no rest. A baby needs to be changed, and yet Jesus is unchanging and the same yesterday, today, and forever. A baby needs to be fed, and yet Jesus was the bread of heaven, a source of eternal nourishment. A baby needs everything, and yet Jesus, who is Everything limited himself so that in the fullest human way he could commune with us. The rest of the verse says, the word became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus brought a message of hope for the world that accepting him as Lord and Savior, that we could have an eternal connection and communion with God. I need to mention something here. You, I hope you'll notice in here is that Jesus embodied both grace and truth simultaneously. Let's talk about that for just a second. Kevin DeYoung wrote an amazing article about grace people and truth people. He says, grace people are pleasant to be around. They don't ruffle any feathers. They cut us a lot of slack. They're easygoing. They accept us for who we are. They don't make demands. They're always welcoming, but without truth, grace isn't really grace. It's just being accepting and nice. Grace people without truth are, are pleasant to be around, but we wonder if they really like us or if they're just trying to be liked. They're tolerant, but they don't often know the difference between right and wrong, and, and they don't often care to line up either way. Grace people can be cowardly. They often refuse to make tough decisions in life. They demand nothing from others and get nothing in return. They accept us for who we are, but they never help us become who we should be. And then there are truth people. Truth people are easy to admire. They have convictions and principles. They believe in right and wrong. They set standards. They speak out against injustice, oppression, and evil. They are articulate and well-spoken, but without grace, telling the truth can become an excuse for belligerence. Truth people without grace are loyal to their cause, but we wonder if they're really loyal to us. They want to change us and make us better, but they don't allow for mistakes. They're quick to cast judgment on others. They make difficult decisions, but they also make life difficult for others and for themselves. They can be slow to forgive. They inspire us with their courage, but turn us off with their intimidation. If you're a grace person, you're most concerned about being loved. If you're a truth person, you're most concerned about being right, even it means, if it means being unloved. And both have their dangers. Something's wrong if everyone hates you, and probably something is equally as wrong if everyone loves you. And right now, some of you are evaluating going, what am I? Am I a truth person? Am I a grace person? If you don't know, ask someone in your closest circle. They will tell you. I saw an amazing example of grace and truth in my own household this past week. Uh, we were filling out a medical questionnaire, and, and I was filling out Laurel's medical questionnaire because of her visual disability, and I'm going through the, the questions, the pages upon pages of questions. You know, do you have asthma? Do you have COPD? Do you have this backache? Do you have this? Have you ever injured yourself in your sleep? I mean, it's just question after question after question, and I came to the question under the mental health section that said, have you ever had suicidal thoughts? And Laurel's truthful response was, no only homicidal. <laughs> and that was a subtle hint that I had not been the husband I should have been in the previous days, which was truth. And the proof of her incredible grace is the evidence that I'm still here and alive. <laughs> so... Jesus was all grace and all truth. He opened up his table to include sinners and broken people like us. He ate with them. And when the religious experts of the day would come and challenge him about his friendship group, he spoke unbridled truth to them. He called out their hypocrisy with truth and invited them to come and join him at the table of grace. Think about that. 
Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth, and we need to live in both and utilize both. We desperately need grace in our lives. We need to hear from Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. We need to know we can come to him just as we are and be welcomed at his table. We need grace, but we also desperately need truth in our lives. We need to hear from Jesus, there are consequences for sin. When he says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We need to hear that. We also need to hear, but if the Son sets you free, he is free indeed. We need truth. We need grace. Like Jesus, when we embody both of them, this is the result. It's deep communion. In this Christmas season, you're going to have many moments to embody both grace and truth. Conversations are going to open up and you'll have the opportunity to, to share the truth of your deepest convictions while you extend grace. Not judgment and condemnation. So we're going to do communion right now. We're going to enter into the grace of God's invitation to come to the table while first hearing this truth. The Bible says before you come to the table, you need to examine yourself. Time for a gut check. What do you do if you examine yourself and there's sin in your life? You go to what the truth of Scripture says. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you confess, ask for forgiveness, then you repent and walk away from sin. And in doing that, you embrace the grace of God that paid to cover that sin with his life. And if that seems just a little too big for you in this moment, there's some gracious truth you need to hear. Just like an infant is helpless, you may feel helpless in the face of your own sin. You may feel helpless in the face of an addiction that won't go away or a marriage that seems beyond repair or a family system that's just so messed up. But don't miss this truth. Helpless does not mean hopeless. Jesus came as a helpless baby, but he was also our greatest hope both in life and death. Don't you ever let the enemy convince you that your situation is beyond God's ability to restore. Jesus was and is our hope in every situation. So in a moment, the worship team is going to come back and join me and ushers are going to come down the roads and we're going to be dismissed row after row after row. You're going to exit to your right. Please, for the love of Jesus, go to your right. <laughs> You're going to come down the side of your section, approach the table. There will be two people there. Please don't ignore the second person. Um, they're there to help. Just figure out which one you need to get to. You're going to take the elements, go back up the opposite side of your section, go back to your seat, and we're going to hold them together until we can take them together. I also want to say this. If you don't want to participate in communion, that's okay. If you're here and just checking out what it means to follow Jesus, you haven't committed your life to him yet, we want you to know we're so honored to be a part of your journey. And you can just stand up, let people pass you by. It's okay. And we hope that you'll continue to seek Jesus, especially at this Christmas time. So we're going to worship together. I'm going to ask those that are serving, if you'll come to your stations, please. I'm going to ask those ushers that are going to be dismissing people, would you please come forward at this time? 
If you're in the front couple rows of your section, I'm going to ask you right now to stand to your feet, make a good model, head to your right. And we're just going to go row after row and let's worship together as we come to communion. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had broken it, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And whenever you eat of it, you remember me in the room and those that are watching online now is the opportunity for you to hold the symbol of the broken body of Jesus in your hand and on the eve of this Christmas season let's remember all that Jesus came for to save us from our sin let's receive it together The Bible says after supper he took a cup and when he had blessed it he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood and every time you drink it you remember me to all my brothers and sisters in the room and those that are watching online on the eve of this Christmas season may we thank God for the gift of a new covenant by which all people can be saved let's take it together Thank you, Jesus. There's another Christmas passage that doesn't appear to be a Christmas passage. It summarizes all that God had planned when it came to sending Jesus wrapped in frail humanity, Philippians chapter 2. What I love about the passage is that it's wrapped around the plan of God to come as a human baby is actually God's plan for your Christmas. So if you want to get practical, here it comes. If you want to fulfill God's plan for your Christmas, listen up. It starts in verse 5, where Paul says, who, meaning Jesus, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. There it is. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Just like the word became flesh, this passage shares with us the how of how Jesus lived out that plan. Think about it. He put aside heaven. He put aside, he put aside his glory in that moment and chose servanthood. He chose humility. He chose death on a cross so that we could experience salvation and an eternity with him. This is the consistent theme of scripture. Jesus kept serving and serving and serving. So it means this. If you want to do Christmas God's way, it works like this. If you follow Jesus, serve. That phrase, by being uh, taking on the very nature of a servant, in the original language, it, it contains this imagery of a blacksmith or a carpenter or a household servant putting on a leather apron that was a, a symbol of the service that they were about to engage in. So if you want to do Jesus, Christmas the Jesus way at every opportunity, you put on the apron of service and you serve. That means this season and all year long, it is about opening doors, carrying groceries, being nice to the people in retail. 
It's about visiting someone in a senior's home who just needs somebody to show up. It's about when you hear that we have a need for kids workers at the 1 p.m. service at Christmas Eve of Christ the King that you actually serve. Serving means you see a need and you meet it. It's that simple. You give of yourself like Jesus gave all of himself. In the previous verses, right before verses 6 through 8, it says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, one in mind. Here it comes. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. God is calling us to serve. God is calling us to put others first. Ask yourself the question, how can I put someone's need Insert whatever name you need to, your spouse, your kids, your coworkers. How can I put their needs before my needs during this season? I'm going to remind you, when it came down to a choice between his life and yours, Jesus valued you so much that he put your need above his own. When you think of everything that Jesus put aside for our sake at Christmas, how amazing is it that we can follow that example and put aside our schedule, our wants, and even our opinions for the sake of someone else's peace? Why would we do that? Because when people see that, they're attracted to the Jesus that we love and serve. Selflessness in this world makes people curious. This is not about action for the sake of action. It's about action for the sake of someone else's eternity. Well, if you think that one was a challenge, serve, put others first, put on your seatbelt. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Yes. That's what it says. Do everything Underline, underscore, circle it, highlight it in yellow and pink. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. And listen to what comes next. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. So I say that. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. And here come the excuses, right? Oh, Grant, you've never seen my family Christmas, bro. What about when my obnoxious uncle pushes every single button that I have? Do everything without grumbling or arguing. But what about when politics comes up at the Christmas dinner table? Do everything without grumbling or arguing. But she wants me to go shopping again, but he never wants to go shopping with me. But I don't want to wear the Christmas pajamas in the picture. But I'm standing in line at Walmart, and the people in front of me are not moving! Do everything. I looked it up in the Greek. <laughs> Say it with me. Everything means without grumbling or arguing. So practical, but seriously, seriously. What's one argument you can stay out of this Christmas season for the glory of God? It's one thing you cannot grumble about for the glory of God. And once again, why would God ask us to do that? 
I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but arguing and grumbling pushes people away. Which means not arguing and not grumbling actually points people who don't know God towards Jesus. Listen to the rest of it. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. We live in a warped and crooked time. And can I just tell you something? This is not a new phenomenon. Paul was speaking to a warped generation then. He's speaking to a warped generation now. Life is crazy. And a little thing like learning and disciplining ourselves to stay out of meaningless arguments or refusing to grumble, all it does is open up the door towards peace. I promise you, if you refuse to argue or grumble, the energy you would have spent doing that will be turned towards seeing the blessings that are all around you. And when you see the blessings that are all around you, the world will take notice. Here's the point. People who refuse to grumble or argue, you shine in a dark world. So we serve, put others first, refuse to grumble or argue, and finally, it's so basic, but listen to Paul's wisdom in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. But we've talked a lot about giving of ourselves, but it's just as important that we receive. During the Christmas season, we need the love, support, and encouragement of others. I mean, none of us were meant to be on this journey alone. Community is actually Paul's heartbeat right here. And community is going to look different for all of us. For some of you, it's your family. For others, it's your workplace. For some of you, it's your friends. As a pastor, my hope is that you can always find this in your church. And one of the best ways to do this is to intentionally surround yourself with godly people. I want to tell you, and this isn't just a shameless plug to try and get people connected. It's biblical because God says this is so unbelievably important. For those of you that are seeking a circle of support, I want to encourage you. Get in a small group. Get in a table group. We have so many opportunities for you, and the reason is because we all need love, encouragement, and support. We need to be known, and we need to know other people. After the service today, and we're going to wrap up in just a minute, we, we do something. Every week, we, we, we open up the front for, for after-service prayer. We're not doing that because that's just what you're supposed to do in church. We're doing that because we know some of you walked in with an incredibly deep Christmas burden. You're going home to a family situation. You, maybe you're not going home to any family situation. Maybe you're going to be alone. And this is what we need. This is what we need for each other. The Bible says we're supposed to bear one another's burdens, which means if you came in with a burden, if you come forward and talk to someone, and pray together, you're going to leave a little lighter than you walked in. It's just so practical. If you're watching online and you feel a little disconnected, you can go right, you can go right now, prayer.ctk.church. I love getting the prayer letter every week because it's just filled with raw, real human need. And I get to pray for people I will never meet. What a privilege to be able to say, hey, Jesus, I don't know Tom, but Tom had a prayer request this week. His wife is sick. 
I don't know him, but you do. You do. You know her name. You know the details. You know the pain. You know the hurt. You know the whole family situation. So I may never, ever meet these people, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a declaration. They're my family. So I'm going to pray, God, this would be a great year for a miracle for Tom's family. Come on, Jesus. Come on. I want to encourage you to surround yourself with godly people. So there it is, right? Put others first. Serve. Don't grumble or argue. And surround yourself with godly people who can love and support you and encourage you. As we approach this Christmas week, let's be obedient to God's plan and see what he might have planned for us this Christmas. Let's pray together. God, thank you for a communion table, beautiful worship, brothers and sisters and friends in the room. Lord, thank you for choosing helplessness as the mode by which Jesus was sent into the world. God, thank you that that we may feel helpless, but it's never hopeless because of you. God, would you help us to serve others by inviting them to come and join us on Christmas Eve? God, there's just, there's an openness, there's a tenderness So I pray that we would be the ones who would serve, that we would put others first, that we would create a place and invite people to come and experience the wonder of the Christmas story on Christmas Eve. Lord Jesus, thank you for each person here. Lord, for those who need prayer, I pray that they would experience courage in the next moments as we wrap up the service, as they try to make a decision. Should I go forward? Should I not go forward? Lord, I pray that they would come and they would be not only prayed with, but prayed for. Lord Jesus, thank you for the beauty of Christmas and all that it means. May we be faithful to your plan because of how your plan saved us. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen and amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. We'll see you back here on Christmas Eve.